This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. And we are back. This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Matt Caraccio, and here we are. The summer seminar series keeps rolling along as we begin to unpack those movement marvels, those those players on Saturdays and Sundays that really get us excited for the game that we all love. And I am beyond excited to welcome back a, a really a presenter from last year whose message and whose thoughts were so well-received by the community. I'm talking about the current athletic performance coach at football at Indiana University, as well as the co-author of The Process, The Methodology, Philosophy, Principles of Coaching Winning Teams, co-written with Dr. Fergus Connolly. I'm talking about Mr. Cameron Joss. Cam, welcome to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. Thanks, Matt. I'm excited to be back, and I've had a couple changes in my career since last time we talked, and couldn't be more excited about where I am right now at Indiana University and the opportunity that we have going for us with head coach Tom Allen and head strength coach Aaron Wallman. I'm beyond excited for the entire staff that we get to work with, all the players we get to work with, and it's just a really exciting opportunity. So thanks for having me back on. No, I'm very excited, and I know our listenership is equally excited. I know, you, like you said, you had some changes. I know that that was something that is certainly a sword that cuts both ways, both you know opportunistically as well as uh, a little bit sanded as we moved on. Um, but I know you're excited. I cannot wait for what Indiana has up its sleeve with you and Dr. Wellman at the helm. I know this is going to be an immensely great opportunity for all IU fans out there. So, Cameron, I wanted to just kind of – bring to you this idea this this whole sentiment for the summer seminar series was movement marvels and you know the the idea was a little bit of a play on words for us to maybe focus our thoughts on what skillful football players are by looking maybe through the lens of a particular position or a particular player so i just want to throw it out there to you when i presented this theme of movement marvels what were some of the ideas players or thoughts that came to your mind because there's a lot of players out there at every position across the entire from, you know, even from the NFL to even the D one level in college, there are excellent players that are marvels at what they do. But I'm just curious where, where your mind went when that theme was kind of shared with you. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the first thing I think about when you talk about players associated with movement marvels, right. And, and to me, it's really just global performing marvels, the guys that maybe it's not always that they, when we, when we isolate movement by itself and we think about just perhaps biomechanics of how movement is displayed, if we isolate just that feature alone, that's not going to give us an entire picture of what a high performer really is in the sport of football. So when I think of movement marvels, those who take it to the next level, it involves beyond just isolated movement case capability. And for me, it involves uh, more brain-oriented aspects and the perception that these players have. And, and that all comes together to put on display this ability to just routinely dominate the sport, routinely dominate the position to where it's not just, hey, I'm a wide receiver and I run really crisp routes. No, it's not only do I run crisp routes, but you're also never going to know where I'm going. 
you're not going to know quite where the ball is in space because I'm not going to give that away with my eyes getting really wide as it's coming to me or something, you know, the game within the game element. So to me, those who perform at the highest level consistently, these, these, these movement marvels, not just movement specialists or whatever you want to think of it as the ones, those are the ones that are going to constantly dominate. And no matter how much you game plan for them, they will still have an impact all the time. And so that, that's really what I think about when, when I start thinking about these, these marvels of performance. You know, and you're talking about those players that you can't really game plan for because the way they affect the game in so many different ways, uh, both on the field and off the field in the planning rooms, right behind closed doors where you're trying to game plan. And I think that that really encaptures the, the, the really the athlete that you kind of brought to this episode. And I'm, I'm so excited. You chose a player who was very, very highly regarded coming out of college. He was drafted eighth overall at the 2017 NFL draft so far in his career, he's had 623 rushing attempts, good for just under 3000 yards, but his receiving game has also been outstanding amassing over 303 receptions in his short three-year career. Uh, good for almost 2,500 yards as well as 15 touchdowns. So this player, I'm sure many of you out there are thinking, who could it possibly be? I'll give you a hint. It's a running back. He's five foot 11, 205 pounds, and he is currently a Carolina Panther. I think everybody can already guess we're talking about Mr. Christian, Christian McCaffrey out of Stanford University. Cameron, I'm I just before we get into Christian and who, who Christian is as a player, um, Christian McCaffrey plays the running back position. So I'm sure before thinking of the player, you were thinking of the position a little bit too and and what type of position might exemplify those ideals of a of a movement marvel player who's affecting the game plan on the play in and play out basis. I'm curious when we get into talking about christian what what is it? What is it about the running back position? What are, what should we know or be aware of in terms of the types of problems, the types of uh, obstacles and challenges that face that position? both from a playing standpoint um, and maybe even from um, an evaluative or even coaching standpoint. What about that position? Yeah, I'm just going to speak from my own personal experience, personal interest in the position. I'm not, I'm certainly not a running back coach and we, we have a phenomenal running back coach here in, in my heart at Indiana university. And I'm sure he would be able to, give you a much better explanation of, of everything we want to look for at the running back position, let alone the career that he had as a player, which is, is unbelievable at, at Michigan. But for me, the running back position has always been interesting because it's something that I played in high school when I played and I, I never thought I could really go anywhere with that position. So I was, I took defense more seriously and I just, I, when I went to college, I was like, okay, I'm going to play defense in college because I'm, I don't know if I'm going to be able to, at my size, you know, being about 5'10, 200 pounds, I don't know if I'm going to be able to play running back in college. So maybe I should go play safety instead. So I had these doubts about myself being able to play running back at, at my size and just with, with the ability that I, that I might have had. I was just, I, to, to myself, I was limiting myself mentally with that. But I was always, when I think back on it in an honest perspective, I was so I was much more natural at that position than I was on defense. And what always fascinated me about that position was just the ability to constantly assess, analyze, and move at an optimal speed. 
So what I mean by that is it's not about being the absolute fastest guy on the field all the time. It's about understanding when to speed up, when to slow down, how to shift these different gears of movement based on what's happening in front of me. So yes, I have to read my blocks as the play is designed, but any of us who have ever played football, the amount of times that the play goes exactly the way it's drawn up on a whiteboard uh, or in some type of playbook is not going to be very often where it goes exactly the way that it's drawn up. So that means that, that for me as the ball carrier, I then have to constantly assess what's going on. I know my initial read. And then from there, I'm always thinking the next level. How do I proceed to the next level, to the next read, to the next thing I'm looking at? And a lot of times the play is designed where, hey, we can get, if it, if it goes well the way we want it to go, you still have to be one-on-one against a linebacker, a safety, a cornerback, somebody, right? So there's always that extra element of even as much as we can design it, there's going to be somebody that's not blocked, that you then have to do what you need to do to get past that person. And you always have to think, how can I move the sticks? How can I get big gains? How can I get touchdowns? And so for me, it's just a fascinating position because there's so many moving parts and it's just so quick and so fast. And, um, you know, from a perception standpoint, it, it's just fascinating to, to realize that those who are able to understand the patterns of play that are happening in front of them, not just the way they're supporting offensive players are moving, but also the patterns of the defensive players and how they're operating. The more you understand these patterns of play, you can start to see things without actually seeing them almost, which is what some of these amazing running backs are capable of doing is that they understand just from patterns of play, I can cut left here. Even if I haven't looked left yet, you know, there's just so much, so many fascinating elements to it. And then when you do have that, that ability to, make the decision between do I cut back or do I make the big run and try to outrun this guy? Do I have the underlying physical capabilities to make the proper decision for me in order to be effective in that moment and continue to advance the football? So all of these things coming together just make that that position fascinating to me. And on top of that, it's fascinating how in that position, there are so many different styles and so many different body shapes associated with that position to where you can have a guy that's 6'3", 250 pounds, or you can have a guy that's like 5'8", 185 pounds, and they're playing the same position in totally different styles and different ways and can be equally effective based on their productivity for their team. So it's just a fascinating position to me. No, I, I mean, I can't agree more in some of the things that you said. I mean, talking about shifting gears, the idea to be able to read from one level to the next, the patterns of play. You know, it's it's funny that kind of brought up in my mind is something I was listening to recently um, from one of our, our colleagues out there. It was a, a it was a podcast of one of Rob Gray's talking about perspective control. And I'm, I'm sorry for everybody listening, you know, that we might geek out for one second here about this, but prospective control, the idea that they were talking about this idea of um, what it means to know how how your movement in the moment might impact your opportunities for action in the future. And it was talking about this idea of how we're moving in the moment, how we're feeling our bodies in space, how we're feeling an understanding of how things are flowing in terms of other players, the way in which maybe light and other things are structured. We're getting a feel for what the moment is and how closely, tightly connected we are and what opportunities in the future might be offered based on what we're doing right now. That's that whole idea of perspective control. And and it just really what you said was like, you know, those, those players that may not be looking the way they're going to cut 
could be that they're getting, they don't need that much information. They're that well kind of connected, so to speak, those great running backs. And Christian is one of those. I mean, Christian is one of those great running backs, I think, where he doesn't need to see the entire conclusion of a player's final position on the field to know how to cut back or cut off a block. He can take very limited information. He's so connected to it that he can make those moves and make those jumps and make those cuts based on what we assume to be nothing, but he sees everything based on very little. So I'm I'm just going to let you kind of go for it. Have some, have some fun with it. Talk to us about, you know, Christian McCaffrey, his game. And, and, you know, he's been a player that I just felt like coming into the league was going to not revolutionize the position, but remind us how versatile football players are, that they're not just one position. So take us through Christian McCaffrey, some of his strengths, what makes him truly a movement marvel in your eyes? Yeah. The reason why I chose, I chose him to talk about it is because I have had multiple conversations with Lauren Landau, who's who's a head strength coach for the Denver Broncos. And Lauren Landau, before becoming the, the strength coach for the Denver Broncos, was the owner of Landau Performance in Colorado. And he actually trained Christian from the time he was a, a little kid growing up in, in Colorado and then through high school and on into Stanford. And talking about how Landau went about working with him as a kid and what his goals were in training him and how that possibly shaped the the player he eventually became. And any any honest and humble strength coach will tell you that our impact on these players is truly uh, probably overestimated more often than not. A lot of it is going to be just their development in the sport of football, right? It's not because we get them physically stronger or more powerful that that's going to totally transform everything about their game. However, what we can do from the strength coach perspective is we can remove physical limitations from them or physical constraints. So we, we understand that there are all these different constraints associated with player performance. And Carl Newell had a really great constraints model where he talked about basically the performer being the athlete, the constraints on the athlete. I think in the, in the research, he actually calls that organismic. So it's a fancy term to describe the organism, which would be the player. And so basically we're looking at player performance constraints. What, what is that player limited by in terms of their strength, power, speed, their mobility, their endurance, these performance related aspects of that player. But then we have the environmental constraints and the task constraints and the environmental constraints and task constraints are are not, we can't always control what those are. We almost can't ever control what those are because the task based constraints are going to be based on the sport. The sport is what it is. The only way we can maybe manipulate some of these task-based constraints is if we decide to structure our tactical playbook to take advantage of our players' capabilities. That's a way, that's a way we can manipulate that. But the, the game rules are the game rules, so we just have to abide by what those are. So the task constraints, players have to carry the football. They can't dribble the football you know, or something like that. Um, so other sports like basketball, you would have to dribble a ball. So those are task-related constraints. So what does the sport demand in terms of the rules? And then the environment would be anything from the weather to the playing surface, whether, you know, whether it's turf or grass, is, is it muddy? Has it been raining? What's, what's, is it snowing out? Is it really hot? Is it really humid? And other environmental situations would be, what's the crowd like? Are we playing home? Are we playing away? You know, and then another environmental constraint is coaching. Are we coaching these players out of position? Are we overcoaching them? Are we undercoaching them? How do we find that, 
that Goldilocks effect of how much to coach these players. So we have all these different interacting constraints. And what I thought was fascinating from talking with Lauren Landau was how he basically understood his role as a strength and conditioning professional. And he said, I'm not a football coach, so I'm not going to try to necessarily coach this kid into how to be a running back. I'm going to let the football coaches do that. But what I'm going to do is I'm going to remove as many physical limitations from him as possible to allow him to then go into football practice and not have to worry about things like, I don't feel strong enough. I don't feel powerful enough. I don't feel like I'm cutting well. I don't feel like I'm fast enough. I don't, you know, he didn't want him to worry about any of that. He wanted him to go into football practice and just say, what's the play? Where do I line up? How do I execute? Can I get to the end zone? Right. So just can I maximize my perceptual cognitive learning and practice based on the actual sport in my position? How do I maximize my tactical learning and my technical learning rather than thinking, man, I wish I had lifted more weights or I wish I had done more speed work or something like that. So when he said that, it was fascinating to me because if you watch Christian play and the way that he moves, a lot of people talk about him like, man, he's just this machine. Like he moves so crisp and so cleanly. And, you know, when you and I have spoken with Sean Mishka many times, and one of my favorite things from Sean that's just super simple is, is the brain, the behavior, and the biomechanics. So he calls it the three Bs of, of, of movement performance, basically. So to me, I'm fascinated by that because he's going to start with the brain and the behavior. So what am I perceiving and how? what is my response to that? And then the biomechanics are when I'm then carrying out my movement solution, how efficiently am I moving in response to all this chaos, right? So we see we see some players that can't, they can understand what they need to do, but they can't put the brain and the body together. And that's where things happen like the turf monster, right? Like they just, they trip on nothing. Like they just, their, their body can't match what their brain's perceiving at the same time. And they're, they get really rigid and stiff and all of a sudden they just fall and nobody's even touched them. It's because they can't handle all that chaos at once and their body and their brain can't all come together in that nice trinity of brain behavior and biomechanics where I think what was great about how Landau went about pre preparing Christian was that he, he wanted to make him so biomechanically efficient that when he could then tune into what I'm, what he was, what he's trying to see from a brain and behavior standpoint, he knew he had the underlying biomechanics to support those decisions and it was just a very interesting way to think about how to prepare a player um, and, and and also stay in your respective role of a strength and conditioning professional. So I just think it's very interesting at this point where when you see Christian make a proper read and he decides to break a run, even when he's running for the end zone. And I, I try to show our players here clips of him running because we try to teach certain sprint technique and things like that. I said, listen, like you could still do it in the game efficiently and effectively look at McCaffrey do this watch him break this 80 yard run and he's still got great frontside lift with his thigh he's, he's attacking down and back into the ground you know he's he's bouncing down the field when he's breaking these big runs all these positions we're talking about in very general sprint training he he's now able to incorporate that into his game together and it's always going to be based on the chaos of what's happening in front of him he understands the bandwidths he, he can move along these different bandwidths like how low do I sink my hips in my cut? How high do I pick up my thighs? How do I, you know, what do I need to do to contort my body to continue to be efficient in these safe positions where I'm not risking 
non-contact soft tissue injury because I'm moving so efficiently. But at the same time, I'm also operating in this absurdly complex, chaotic environment of the game of football. So I just think it's very interesting how if you saw him his rookie year, it was almost like we knew he wasn't physically limited because you watch him at the combine. You're like, this dude just moves amazingly, right? He runs fast. He does everything great. But it was just that initial, all right, I'm a rookie in the NFL now. Wow. Like there's a lot more, the speed at which everything's happening is so much different. So I, now I need to understand how to retune my brain for this level of play. And you can see over the next couple of years after his rookie year, how that's manifested itself and how he's now a top running back in the NFL, where some might've had doubts about that perhaps his rookie year. Maybe, okay. He's going to be like a sort of a feature guy, certain situations, but now it's like, he's the guy in Carolina. And I don't know how many people might've thought that would actually happen, but he's allowed himself to continue to capitalize on his physical superiority and then just get himself better from his brain oriented learning, his perception, his, his cognitive elements that are associated with the game of football. And, you know, and, and I want to, you know, there's a lot of things that you brought up. And, and first of all, I think that every for every strength and conditioning coach out there that is, you know, follows the same kind of thoughts and sentiments along with what Cam shared. I, I think you all should take a bow because I think on some level, I think you're introducing, you know, the player to where strength and conditioning does fit within the overall role of being a great player. And I, I don't think that can be misunderstood. I think, you know, I think that's something that is important because strength and conditioning can have many definitions for players. And I think when you get a strength and conditioning coach that can put it contextually in the right way of where it should fit in your overall development as an athlete, I think that's a tremendous, tremendous um, gift because even uh, just to speak to Christian McCaffrey, he is not, um, he is not, uh, he's not, um, I guess I want to say unknown for, for his own training conditions. I mean, there was a huge, I think in the, between the 2018, 2019 season or between the 2017 and 2018 season, he was making uh, quite a bit of hay on social media discussing his training routines. So it's almost like, you know, for, for whatever you could say, you know, you could argue that Lauren in some ways empowered him to know how to train himself to some degrees and, and do what's right for his body and adapt those principles. And that, that, that makes for a long, successful career, knock on wood for him. Um, hopefully that's what it makes for. And so I think there is room for where a strength and conditioning coach should understand that that role in introducing that player to what strength and conditioning should be in terms of their overall performance, I think is, is massive. And, and I, and I treat, and all those coaches that are doing that, I, I humbly, humbly appreciate that. And I wanted to kind of ask you a question. You talked about brain, you know, behavior and biomechanics. And, and we know that these are all, you know, kind of working and integrating themselves kind of collectively, right? I mean, they, they are kind of like you said, it's a trinity. They're all balancing one another out. I'm curious, um, you know, one of the, the topics that's coming up now more than, more than anything else is I wonder if Christian became the type of player that really knows how to learn to move. Because we're talking a lot today about the ideas today about swirling around in performances, learning to learn to move. And I wonder if Christian really has become one of those expert learners of his own body in learning how to learn to move. Like you said, transitioning from one level to the next, you know, at your role at IU and just in your experiences as a coach, um, what really are things we should be aware of? Maybe some of those obstacles, like you said, Christian transitioning from, you know, high level D one athlete to the NFL. You said, like you said, there was a little bit of a, a lull, so to speak, before he really got the engine moving, 
you know, in terms of his overall performance. What do you think some of those complexities or some of those challenges really are? Um, and what, 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 would you, what would you say from your experiences? Yeah, I mean, my my experience with trying to understand that is goes back to my time at DeFranco's Training Systems, you know, when I was working with it was interesting because in that role, I was working with a lot of high school athletes and then a lot of NFL athletes. So college is, they stay at college, right? So they're not around as much. I had some guys that were FCS division two, II, division three, but the bulk of my clientele were high school and NFL. So I was seeing like the two totally different extremes of these are like really raw kids trying to learn these things, how to move, how to train, how to develop themselves. And then versus the guys that were, were at the highest level and just trying to hold on to their careers and how do they stay in that environment. So I, I got a lot of experience and understanding from that. And something else I talk about with Landau is this idea of having empathy for our players and empathy for the players is not just, Hey, you know, I, me as a strength coach, I do a barbell squat. So I know what that feels like. So you should do a barbell squat and, you know, we're just lifting weights. It's, something that goes so far beyond because if we want to talk about ourselves as being athletic performance coaches, it's not just strength at that point. There's so many elements that go into athletic performance. And one of the areas that in in this day and age where big data and tracking data metrics um, is so just in the face of everybody, it's so mainstream I think there's an element that gets lost that is something you'll hear great track and field coaches talk about all the time, which is this idea of, of rhythm and these more of these fuzzy elements that are harder to quantify, but they totally exist. And this idea of rhythm and harmony of movement and how it's just matching what's happening around you. And to your point before about how when I decide to make a movement in sport, it's not just me responding to the complexity of my environment, but as soon as I make that decision, now all of a sudden the environment reacts in a complex way to me. So what I've done, especially if I'm the ball carrier, so if I'm Christian McCaffrey, if I'm any running back, and I have the ball, if I decide to cut right, that now has impacted the entire playing field completely to reform itself in a different way. So now what was one rhythm and timing and sequencing action that led to me making that cut is now a totally different. Now I have to respond to the new rhythm that's, that's now been developed in my environment. So there's this complex interaction that happens all the time. So as a strength conditioning professional or anyone who's associated with athletic performance, if we don't do our due diligence to understand these complex layers in the true context of what's going on in sport, we will quickly lose sight of having true empathy for these players and understanding what their experience really is. Because what we want to be able to do in training is provide an experience for these players that will then help them recall when they're then in the experience of the game. I've been in something similar to this before. I know how to position my body because I've positioned it in a certain way before. And here's how I'm going to choose to respond to the stimulus in front of me. And that's another important distinction is that Aaron Wallman just had this conversation with our players this past week where he said, listen, there is a total difference between just purely reacting and responding to something. Right. And I thought that was fascinating when he said that, because 
everybody's reacting on the field, you know, like they're going to, you're going to do something, whether it's right or wrong, but you're choosing to truly respond means that there's intent behind it. So if you can get to that level of your game where you're thrown out onto an NFL football field and you can see everything so well that you can actually utilize your brain and respond appropriately to that, rather than just, I'm going to react and do something. And I don't really know what's going to happen from this. That's the difference is there's a difference between just purely reacting and then truly analyzing, perceiving and understanding something and then responding to that appropriately. So that's the way I, I sort of try to understand all of it. No, I mean, you said so many things that I think were interesting. I mean, you know, reactive to me sounds so passive, whereas responsive sounds so active, you know, an active response. Like it sounds like you're actively in the moment perceiving and acting, so to speak. So, I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, let me ask you this now, and I'm going to, I'm going to kind of take this to Christian and, and go into some of his ideas and maybe some of the, some of the potholes that may have eluded us in his evaluative process that maybe now I can ask somebody kind of on the inside talking about football. You know, it's very often we tend to, you know, reduce players down to this is a great interior runner. This guy's only going to work in a zone scheme. This guy's going to only work in a, you know, a gap scheme. How much do you subscribe to that? Or where does that live and breathe within your own analysis of football players? Do you even, do you even think those types of, you know, kind of buckets, so to speak, are fair? to players or do you think those are unfair kind of um sweeping strokes to paint players with i in my personal opinion and again i'm not i'm not an actual football positional coach i'm a strength conditioning professional but in my opinion just watching the game and understanding the game to the best of my ability i think there is truth to that where some players have only been developed in certain capacities in the sport of football from a tactical and technical standpoint but do I think it's fair? No, I don't. I think that <laughs> what, what would be fair would be to help these help give these players as many tools in the toolbox as possible. And that's something that I think about from a strength conditioning standpoint is just from a general physical capacity standpoint, can I give you more tools to be successful in different situations? So if you come to me as a player and you say, I'm just not that fast, I'm never going to be that fast of a player, I need to capitalize somewhere else. While there might be a a lot of truth to that, maybe you're never going to be the fastest guy. I don't need you to think that way. I need you to start getting some confidence in having these different abilities and, and owning these different abilities. So for me, I would like to give you as many tools as possible for you to feel fast in your role or feel powerful in your role or feel strong in your role Because, you know, some of the fastest players might be like, I don't feel great when I have to go take on a block because I don't feel strong or vice versa. These linemen might be like, I'm just not that quick. I just need to I don't feel comfortable pulling around the edge or something like that. But in my mind, where can we help you develop the psychological standpoint to where you feel more confident in your abilities to do things? And then how do we then match that up with? different ways, different techniques, you know, cause you think about something like man coverage, that's such a broad term. There's so many different ways that you can cover somebody, man, you can go press, you can, you can play off, you can do catch man, right? There's all these different elements of how you can do it. So maybe it's not that you can't do it. It's just, you need to work at it. You need to expose yourself to it. And it's something that you can develop if you understand the outcome that we're trying to get from it. Instead of just saying, I'm never going to be good at man coverage, you know, or I'm just a zone guy. Like, don't put me, maybe you're better at zone. So maybe you'll fit better 
at a team that schematically will use a lot more zone coverage. Like, I think there's a lot of truth to that, right? Like some people are just going to be better at certain things than others. But I think nowadays, especially with when you look at guys like Isaiah Simmons out of Clemson now, right? Like he's almost ruining it for everybody else because of how versatile he is where he's, these coaches in the NFL are going to be like, we need more guys like, like him um, who can play corner and linebacker and D end and, and safety, you know, we, we want these truly positionless players, but I, I think that there's there's always going to be an element of can we continue to expand your toolbox? We shouldn't just maybe, yeah, maybe in the 2020 season, if we decide to have you start for us, we're only going to ask you to do this because we know you can get that done. But, hey, we have a whole offseason before the 2021 season or, or whatever it might be. So can we now start working with you? Can we align the football coaches with the strength coaches, with everybody to where, hey, here's what we want to get this guy to be able to do. You know, can you help get him generally faster and more coordinated so he feels more comfortable that when we get him as football coaches, we can then put him in this type of a role and he feels more comfortable doing that because he has more confidence in his speed now. You know, there's so many interacting elements and complexities and layers associated with that too. So, yeah, to your point, I think that if we can align ourselves as best as possible and then just have these conversations with these players – we always want to try to enhance their confidence and we always want to try to give them more tools in their toolbox, whether it's a general motor ability like strength, power and speed, or it's a very highly specialized football skill and everything in between. So that's, I guess that's my opinion of it. No, I, and, and, you know, to go back to your point earlier, as we kind of get into this kind of latter portion of the discussion, I mean, you talked about, you know, the, the big data. And how big data is giving us all this tracking ability. And I think that one thing you pointed out to, and sometimes you'll hear this referred to as the science of the moving dots, you know, everybody has a tracker on them. So you can kind of look at the actual play as a bunch of little, like almost like checkerboard pieces moving around at different rates and different types of accelerations. And we can calculate angles and everything. But to your point earlier, and I think this is so exceptional, and maybe you can take us to Christian a little bit, a little bit about what makes this part of him a little bit special as a performance coach, of course, not as a positional coach. He has a unique certain set of height, weight, limb length. His center of mass is different. The way everything is balanced in his body is different. And that's not captured, right, Cam? I mean, that's not captured, like to your point about moving and flowing and rhythm, all those elements that you talked about, they're fuzzy because those that those dots don't capture their their kind of unique kind of um th- their size, their height, their weight, their the way their arms are angled, their limbs, the size of their hands. Like, are all those really playing a massive role? Like when you watch Christian play on a on a Sunday or just as a casual fan, or you're even showing, you know, you know, the the, the promising young football players at IU what 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 to kind of look at. Do you see unique things about where his signature as an athlete really kind of become apparent? Where it's like that's just a uniquely him because of the way he's built, the way he runs, the way he moves. You know, there are gonna be guys that approximate Christian. Christians is his own his own unique kind of snowflake. Is there are is that kind of what you were alluding to? And if so, where does that fit into Christian's game? Yeah, absolutely. Because something that you know, I had I had this conversation with our head coach Tom Allen one time. We were on the sideline on the practice fields, and we were talking about this. Where I was just asking him about the tactics. Right, he's he's a defensive guy. He was originally the the defensive coordinator before becoming the the head coach here at IU. And I was just asking him, you know, 
can you explain some of the defense to me? I, I, I just, I like knowing it. I like understanding it. And he was explaining it to me. And one of the things he said was, was brilliant to me, which was if, if we can get them to just understand concepts, there's so many things that we can do from that standpoint. So, you know, from a tactical standpoint, and it was great because that's how I feel about performance training is it's, if we can just get you to understand concepts, the rest of it is you, you being you. And that's something that's great with Tom Allen is that he has kids from all these different areas. You know, they could be from indeed, Indianapolis, they could be from somewhere in Indiana, local guys, or they could be all the way down from, from Florida or somewhere in the South. They're just all over the place. Right. And he wants them to be who they are. Right. He doesn't, he doesn't want them to feel like they have to be somebody that they're not. He encourages them to be who they are. He encourages them to be respectful, good natured men, but he wants them to be who they are and who they uniquely are as people and as players. And to me, that's so special because as a performance coach, in my experience, I've always wanted that for my, for my players as well, is I don't want to say, I don't want to take another, another kid who's 5'11", 205 and kind of built like Christian McCaffrey and say, you need to be Christian McCaffrey, right? I want, <laughs> I want them to say, I want to show them elements of how Christian McCaffrey plays that are generally applicable to all players that are playing the running back position. But at the same time, you might not be built like him. You might not necessarily move quite like him. You might have different characteristics to your game that are uniquely yours and you need to hone in on those. But there are still these general concepts in terms of where should your eyes be? You know, if you change direction, you need to lower your center of mass to be more stable. If you want to be fast at top speed, you probably need a decent front side lift to get some good power into the ground. You know, these, these elements of just movement and just performance in general, whether, whether it is a brain related general uh, performance quality, or it's a body related general performance quality. I want them to understand these concepts, but I don't ever want them to feel as though they need to be pigeonholed into doing it exactly like somebody else. It's just, here are the general underlying principles of effective and efficient and safe performance. And safe is a big one to me because to your point, if you're looking at just, just data points, you don't always know what went into making that data possible. So, for example, we we do force play testing with our players here because we want to look at things, you know, like from a like what's their power output, how do they land, how do they, what, what's their eccentric control before they take off, and then at the same time, what what are some asymmetries that might be showing up on these force platforms? But if all we do is look at the numbers, we might see like, hey, this guy has a thirty percent asymmetry where he favors his right leg. We see that, but <laughs> if we don't have video or something that's just able to give us an image of what that number is is talking about, we, we'll have no idea what the actual issue might be. So we need to, the numbers are important. I'm never going to say that they're not, but they always need to be shown in relation to qualitative assessment and sometimes sub subjective assessment, right? How do we combine subjective and objective measures together? And in football, why is film study so big? Because we need to know what you know what the the data what the metrics are telling us we can't just be like all right this guy passed for 240 yards well like what went into making that happen what went into why did he throw two interceptions like what went into doing that it's not just that he threw two interceptions it's like what were what were the decisive elements associated with that the film will show us that the qualitative imagery will show that to us so how do we combine those two together and the numbers are there to help us quantify things like load 
and intensity, you know, like how do we know how hard to get them to work to match up with what they might need to be doing in the game? We can have these objective measures to serve as guidelines for that, but we, we can never neglect the fact that a coaching eye is always needed, whether it's from a football coaching eye or from a performance standpoint, coaching eye, because there's things that football coaches might not see where they say, wow, that guy really took off for the end zone. But me as a performance coach, I'm like, well, he's butt kicking like crazy when he sprints for the end zone. He might end up pulling a hamstring running like that. You know, so it's how do we combine our qualitative assessment together as a staff as well? So, um, yeah, to your point, all of that stuff is important and it needs to be considered because everybody has their own unique movement signature and just performance signature and who they are and how they are as a football player. No, and I think that's beautiful because it, it kind of blends right into this kind of final section of and discussion because you're you're being so gracious with your time. I don't want to monopolize it, but I want to get a lot of a couple of quick ideas in there and questions. The the first question is with regards to you alluded to it, that coaching eye watching the game from a performance coach. If you're watching your your players and you're beginning to kind of look at them um, in terms of their uh, movement on the field in generalities, you know, and you're trying to build up, you know, some ideas about maybe how you're going to structure something in the future in terms of an activity or an environment. Um, my question to you is, are there, are, what are some of the general ways in which you kind of begin to unpack film? Do you, is that something where you feel like it's very important to understand the general schematic of the play first, then watch the player second? Are you focusing more on the player first, then where they fit in the scheme second? Um, are we not even considering really the scheme at all? Maybe we're just focusing only on the player. Um, just, just some ideas that maybe some of those, some of those aspiring evaluators out there could kind of take away as they're kind of sitting on their couch, maybe on that Saturday or Sunday, looking ahead to the college football season and those amazing athletes that'll be out there. Should we be watching things and from different angles and at different speeds? Just what are some of those couple of, couple of tricks of the trade that might've served you well and continue to be something that you lean on? Yeah, I know for me, just from the context of being, a performance coach and trying to understand the player behavior in the game. I, my opinion is that I cannot judge what they do from a movement standpoint. If I have no idea what they're trying to accomplish tactically, because to me, it always starts with the tactics because they're going to, the way the players come out and align themselves right from the beginning before they do anything is going to be based on tactics. So, and, and just do, can you, can you unpack tactics one more time? Cause you've talked about that a number of times this episode, you unpacked it last year, but just for some of those coaches or, or evaluators that might be new to that word tactics, we, we know it, but do we really know it? So how would you just define tactics for them? Sure. Yeah. Now tactics for me in the sport of football is, is, is the play call, you know, tactically based on the play call, what are we trying to get done? If we're on defense, is it cover three? Is it Tampa two? Is it, you know, what the way that I align myself as a, as a player in that defense is going to be based on what I know I need to do when the ball is snapped. And that's all based upon the tactical play call. So when I say tactics, I'm just referring to what, what is the play call? What's being asked of me just from a scheme standpoint, and then within tactics, you have technique, right? Alignment, assignment, technique, as they, as they say, that's, that's what they would write for us in our scouting reports when I was in college. You know, how are you lining up? Because that's going to be based on the technique you're using 
in relation to the tactics that are being employed. So maybe it's cover three and I'm a corner and I know I have the deep third of, of my, my side of the field. And maybe one at one moment I'm using a technique where I'm just playing off. And then when the ball snaps, I'm just running in my deep third. And then the next time I have the same tactical assignment, but technically now I'm going to do a press bail technique. I want to make it look like I'm in something else, but I'm, I know I'm still in this. Right. So to me, the technique and the tactics are, are always first and foremost in my mind when I'm looking at these players, because I can't necessarily judge what a player's doing if I don't know what he's being asked to do from the tactical standpoint. So if the play call is saying, we need you to go here, you know, then at that point it's like, okay, now I know what he's trying to accomplish. And then his movement is going to correspond with that. And so it's hard to judge when somebody's wide open on a field, it's hard to know who to blame because unless you're the coach and you know who was supposed to be there, then you can't always figure out what's going on. Right. So, you know, there was some sort of tactical mishap that happened. Somebody messed up. You don't always know who to blame or who it was. So I think a lot of these armchair evaluators, it, it can get tough because you can't see the entire field all the time on TV. You don't always know who's messing up and doing what. But from from there, once you have a general idea of what's going on from that standpoint, I mean, when I'm looking just at certain situations of high stress, that's for me, that's when I'm really evaluating players, because at that point, it doesn't really have to do with tactics anymore. Like if it's a if it's a running back who's followed his block the way he's supposed to tactically, now he's one on one with the safety. That's no longer tactical. Now it's like it's physical, it's psychological, like in technical as well. Like how do I get by this guy? What am I doing? What's the technique I'm using to get by him? Do I have the confidence to do that? And do I physically have the ability to get by this guy? So for me, I look at these high pressure moments a lot, and I want to know. If you have the opportunity to break a big run, if you have an open lane, are you fast enough to get there? Are you fast enough to break 60 without getting caught? You know, if I'm a linebacker and I've done my tactical assignment, which is, hey, they throw a swing swing route to the running back. It's one-on-one in space, me versus him. Do I have the perceptual cognitive and physical ability to track his near hip, tackle him down to the ground and make sure he doesn't get past me? You know, like, so for me, from that standpoint, those high pressure moments are what I, what I'm judging more than anything, because I know that we in training can expose players to those high pressure moments from a general pattern of play standpoint. I can put players in a position that's like one-on-one tag in this highly stressful situation where I can manipulate the field size, make it wider and and, and narrower or shorter or longer or whatever. I can make it a weird shaped field. I can do these things in training but I'm not going to necessarily write the playbook for these players. That's not my job. Right. So I always, because of my job, I look at the high pressure moments and how they are functioning in those. And do they have these underlying qualities to be successful in those moments or not? And if they don't, how can we address it in the off season and give them more tools? Like I talked about before to now, maybe they can operate more effectively in those high pressure moments. Well, I mean, listen, I think you not only hit on some really salient points for both uh, aspiring evaluators, but I think you really hit on a lot of points for coaches. And I think coaches really should be able to take a lot of what you said and begin to maybe assess kind of their own practices or their own belief systems and philosophies um, in light of this. So, I mean, 
without without cumbersome discussion any further, is there any though enduring understanding you'd want to leave a coach? What would you tell a coach? Listens to all this, says, "Great, Christian McCaffrey, you know he's he's got I me, mean, so I should be making sure I kind of." you know, release him of limitations in the weight room. Um, maybe I should be concentrating on sprint mechanics, or maybe I should be putting him in kind of high pressure tactical situations to help him develop. Is it any one of these? I mean, should we be looking at all those? What would you tell a coach who's saying, I want to begin to at least explore this and, you know, maybe dip my toe into the water? What, w- what would you ask of them to do? Yeah, I think more often than not, they're always going to, football coaches are going to have a tremendous understanding of, of the tactics of the game. They're going to understand the rules of the game, just how football is played, you know, what schemes we want to call, what we want to do, how we want to draw plays up. They're always going to have a great understanding of that. And I think strength coaches can learn a lot from coaches from that standpoint to understand context better from, from that, from that standpoint. I think that they have a pretty good understanding of, of technical elements too. Like they understand how players should be lining up the type of technique they should be playing. I think that where the blend needs to happen a lot better is just the layers underneath all of that, which would be from a physical and psychological standpoint, am I communicating with my players in a way that allows them to fully grasp what I'm trying to get them to understand? Uh, Are they able to understand what we are demanding of them from a cultural standpoint, the standard that we expect for them to uphold so that we can continue to pursue excellence and championship caliber status. So the communication with players is a big one. And that's from a strength coach standpoint, all the way to a football coach standpoint, just how are we communicating what we are trying to get these players to do? That's a huge, just general coaching element. Because I said before, that is an environmental constraint within itself. If we are communicating in a way that is ineffective or inefficient, it can negatively impact our player performance because they just won't understand what's being expected of them. So I think that for any, for any coach, strength coach or football coach, that's something that always needs to be kept in mind. And then from a physical standpoint, I think it comes down to, there needs to be less of what I've seen be being common, which is strength coaches walking around saying that, Oh, my football coach is just an idiot. Doesn't understand strength conditioning or physiology or, or, any of these things that I do, well, he, that's not his job to understand that it's, it's almost your job to help him understand these things that make sense. And, and obviously there are times where um, personalities come into play and there's, there's, there's egos involved and people can be stubborn and not really want to listen to these things. But I would implore everybody, strength coach, football coach, whoever to try as best as possible to be in pursuit of all of these different elements associated with, tactical preparation, technical preparation, psychological preparation, and then physical preparation. So what should the lifting look like? What What's safe lifting look like? What's, how do I progress lifting in a safe way? How do I train for increased power output? How do I train for improvements in speed? You know, what's the difference between truly training for speed and just conditioning them with running? You know, what are these differences here? How do I actually improve these elements and guess what? Sometimes that's going to involve hiring other people that know how to do those things. And that can also mesh with you in a way that's cohesive, not like, hey, this guy's an expert. Let me hire him. And he comes in and wants to do his totally his own thing. and doesn't want to mesh with your ideas at all. I think that's problematic as well. So it's always about trying to find the right people and 
trying to, everybody always says it, but keep an open mind, but really it's just, it's not necessarily, I'm just so open-minded to everything. Like you need to have some sort of opinions on what you want to get done, but it's just based on what we want to get done. Can I commit myself to pursuing the, the knowledge required to get there? And that takes a lot of work, but if you want to win and be successful and be a championship caliber team, hard work is required. So, I mean, that's just the way it is. If you want players to perform at a high level and you want to keep them safe and healthy at the same time, you know, all of these interrelated factors need to come together in my opinion. So, no. And I, and I think that's beautiful because I think what you're saying is even though it might be very much a CEO structure, potentially with your head coach and in some institutions, there still needs to be that round table discussion that's occurring frequently where at the center is that, that kind of idea of winning. Because winning is what we're all trying to trying to get done. We're trying to win both on the field and also win after these these contests are over in the game of life. So I mean, we're trying to get all these things done, and and that's a tall order, you know, for any endeavor, whether it be professional um, or otherwise. So I mean, I, my hats are off to everybody out there that 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 are practicing and and kind of going through these kind of hard discussions, challenging discussions, but ultimately rewarding ones. So, I mean, unbelievable as you, as always, Cameron, you know, you you really do kind of bring a lot of thought, interesting ideas and insights to us. I can't thank you enough for being a guest on the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Hey, thanks so much for having me back, man. It's, it's always a blast. And like, like we said, through text, it's always a a great opportunity to talk football. So I always enjoy being here. So thanks a lot. And and as as we spoke to the guitars on the wall, rifting every once in a while is a great way to kind of find some new harmonies and new understandings of where we want to go. And I can tell you for sure, I've got a lot here to unpack for myself. But Cameron, if if, if people are listening to you, they they want to they want to kind of check out your work. I mean, we already mentioned the book series, the process, the methodology and philosophy and principles of coaching winning teams that you co-wrote with Dr. Fergus Connolly, a friend of the show, and I know a deep confidant of yours as well. You know, where can we find your work outside of those publications? I know you're two in or or two on the way. I mean, anxious minds want to know are the other two on the way at some point. Yes, absolutely. The the book series with Fergus was and and I'll always say that it's it's all Fergus's work that he did throughout his career. And I was I was fortunate enough to be able to, to take his work and just apply some of my experience to that. And we just put it on paper and then we realized it was just it was so much material that we needed to break it up over all of these different books. And so, yeah, level three will be on the way here, obviously with everything and my job change and, and all that going on, we've, it's, we've, we're, we still need to work on it. And, and I intend on getting back to that very, very soon here. And uh, so, yeah, level one, level two are, are available on Amazon right now. It's the easiest place to find them. And outside of that, I have articles I've written for simplyfaster.com. Uh, in their blog sections. If you go on their blog section, you search my name. A lot of some of the thoughts I've had around just strength, speed, and power training are in there uh, and agility training, different different topics that I've tried to write on in the past and um, just try to put it out there so people can talk with me about it and we can try to find better ways for uh, incorporating some of these practices into training. And other than that, I've if you follow Indiana football, you'll you'll certainly be following what we're doing now because we're we're trying to help uh just put our program in place and, and we're a brand new staff and 
Um, all of us are, our entire staff is amazing. Our entire performance staff and, and, uh, Aaron Wallman did an awesome job with, um, putting us all together in a way that are, is so, we're all so cohesive with each other. We're all so close with each other. And I'm just really excited for what we're going to do. And, um, I had a couple of years off of social media, but now I'm back on just Twitter. So that's the only social media that I have. So my Twitter handle name is at IU coach Jaw. So IU as an in Indiana university. So at IU coach Jaw, so you can follow what I'm doing there. Um, not super active on there, but I try to be somewhat active on there as best I can and promote other, other people's work as well as what we're doing. So that that's where you can find me. Yeah. I mean, I can't express, um, our thanks enough here at the Saturday Sunday football podcast, but I also can't recommend your book series highly enough. Um, you know, game changer as a book is an outstanding book, but I think what this series does so well is it is, I don't want to say it's the cliff notes because I don't want to rob the meaning behind what was put out there, but I think it is a, a kind of a more truncated version, but more, um, more field manual version, if that's the best term. It's more of a field manual to me. I feel like these books were something you can pick up, you can put on your desk, you can read them in a couple days, um, but you'll find yourself taking copious notes many days after that. And I think that that's what these are. They're little field manuals for just how to take what Cameron was referring to, what we have, Dr. Fergus Connolly was a guest as well during the seminar series. So what he said as well, all of these ideas, how to make them kind of live and breathe in the in the field sports that you're coaching because even though we're talking about football these these ideas extend far beyond that so i mean outstanding i am so excited and for everybody out there that's listening thank you so much for spending your time with us i know i speak on behalf of myself and cameron and to all those people out there listening you know we wish you the best during this hiatus and we wish you you and your family's health and and good fortune throughout these times so please stay safe and you know what? For everybody on the Saturday or Sunday football con- fo- blah, football podcast, as you see, I, I'm not perfect, guys. Um, everybody else on the football podcast, thank you so much for spending your time with us. As we keep this summer seminar series rolling along, please check those feeds to see the next presenter as we keep this series rolling along this summer. So thank you so much, and please join us next time as we see you from Saturday to Sunday.